Megan, spring is one of our family's busiest seasons with tons of time on the go. There are so many places to be and details to remember. And the last thing I need is the constant irritation of uncomfortable shoes. So today we're talking about the Vionic Vitals collection from our longtime sponsor, Vionic Shoes. These are the best essential shoe styles for everyday wear this season. So Katie on our team is getting ready for warmer weather in Chicagoland with a pair of Vionic's Bella Toe Post sandals. These are Vionic's best-selling flip-flop style, and they have a cute little bow on them. They come in nine great colors, but Katie chose a versatile black patent leather. They're super supportive for her high instep, and they even come in wide sizes, which is a great option. Yeah, the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection are classics that don't really go out of fashion. And because they're such great quality, they're going to last as well, even with daily wear, which mine definitely get. And I love that Vionic offers a 30-day guarantee. Wear them, love them, or return them for a full refund within 30 days. But I have a feeling after those 30 days, our listeners will love their Vionic shoes so much they'll be ready to order another pair. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at Vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis here with Sarah Powers. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Megan. How are you? Well, I'm feeling great. We're coming at everyone on a Sunday to talk about books, one of both of our favorite things. It is, but we aren't always reading productively at the same time in life, which is really funny. I would say there were there was a good decade where I was almost never reading productively at any time. <laughs> I was doing a lot of like article reading and um, article writing and my kids were really little and I just didn't have a lot of time for book reading. And, and the nice thing to remind anyone else out there who may be in that same place right now is like, it does come back, right? You will find pockets in your life again, where reading books will become a real thing. And, um, even like during last, I would say the whole school year, I would fall asleep at night to the same four pages or like to the next four pages in the same Jane Austen novel. I think I yeah. read, um, Pride and Prejudice and it took me like so long to get through. Cause I would read three pages and then fall asleep. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even though I have been like, like you, I had a whole decade, at least a decade where I didn't read almost at all, except children, you know, books, picture books to my children. But even when I returned to reading about five or six years ago, I do not read. I mean, compared to the people who talk about reading on podcasts and books um, and who really have embraced it as like a big part of their identity. I mean, I think I will end up reading between 12 and 15 books this year in 2022. And there are people who read like a hundred books a year or 50 books a year. I, I mean, I average one a month, but some of that includes like a flurry of a few and then barely reading at all for a few months. So it's just, I, I'm just a very modest reader in terms of quantity. And I think we should normalize yeah. that. We should. And, and I find that I'm all over the place. So um, very slow during the school year last year, but I've probably read 15 books in the last two months. So like I can swing from one extreme to the other. And it just so happens 
that when we were thinking about an episode topic for this week, I thought, oh my gosh, like not only do I have enough books that I've recently read that I can remember them because otherwise they just go away like they never existed. But like I actually have some material to talk about. And I think another funny thing when we both kind of went back through and I'll go back through my Kindle recently read is it's usually that I've read more than I think I have. And that I think Mm. is also interesting. Like we tend to kind of get down on ourselves and really underestimate like what we've actually done. And it's almost always more than I thought. Yeah. I I know when I went back, I have felt like I haven't been finishing books this summer. Like I've been starting and not finishing and we'll get into that more later, but that's not very like me. Um, but I went, when I went back and looked and I write my books down in my paper planner, and then I also use Goodreads, it was a more encouraging picture than I thought. It wasn't so much that I had read more but it was that this new pattern of starting and not finishing was only really just this summer. And before this summer, I actually completed quite a few books in the first like six months of 2022. So, Well, and we're going to revisit um, in, a, in a future upcoming episode, we're going to revisit those goals we made way back in early 2022. And one of yours was had to, to do with read reading. Like Megan. It was to, <laughs> to read, read like, like Megan. Me. Yes. So uh, maybe I'm reading a little more like Sarah, like maybe I'm getting some of your juju and you're getting some of mine. I'm not sure. Sarah, our sponsor Vionic is back today with their Vionic Vitals collection. These shoes are the most essential styles for everyday wear to get us ready for spring, which will be here before we know it. We've already talked about my Uptown Loafers and Willa Slip on Flat and your Chardonnay heeled sandal, but this collection also includes the Walk 23 Classic Sneaker. That is that unapologetic dad sneaker style that's so popular right now. And I was just thinking having all four styles would basically be like having a spring capsule wardrobe for your feet. Oh my gosh, that is actually such a genius idea, Megan. I love where you're going with this. You know, high quality shoes are such a classy way to elevate your wardrobe. And the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection really can be worn in your everyday mom life, whether you're running errands or dressing up for an occasion. Yeah, and let's talk about the comfort factor, Sarah. Vionic actually got started by revolutionizing medical orthotics. Today, they continue to use that science to make cute and comfortable shoes that can keep up with our active lifestyles. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. This episode is sponsored by Olive in June, and Sarah, I am just so grateful that I have mastered the art of doing my nails at home. When I look down at my cute manicure, I feel a little more pulled together, no matter how crazy life is at the moment. Thankfully, Olive in June's Manny system makes it so easy and affordable to make Manny time a regular part of my weekly routine. Well, I know the feeling, Megan, and I think it's so fun that with Olive and June, you get to customize your Manny system with your choice of six polishes, plus their top coat is included. So Katie on our team says that she has lately been layering some of their iridescent colors over their gel-like polishes, and the final result looks super shimmery and pretty. I might have to try that this spring. Yeah, and Olive and June press-ons are another cool option. They look so real, and I think it would be a great way to test out another nail shape. A long almond shape is popular right now, and I'm kind of curious what that would look like on me. Okay, well, keep me posted on that one. Listeners, visit oliveandjune.com slash themomhour for 20% off your first Manny system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash T-H-E-M-O-M-H-O-U-R for 20% off your first Manny system. 
Okay, Sarah. So this first category is a really fun one. And honestly, there are many years where nothing I read would actually even fit into this category. But so I'm really glad that we both have one. Um, And that is the weirdest book you perhaps unexpectedly enjoyed. The book that I'm going to nominate for this category was called One's Company by Ashley Hudson. It was recommended to me very heartily by our friend, Amy Clark, who runs the mom advice book club. And she, so she's got a great book community and she's always recommending books to me. And actually that might be the reason I've read so much more lately. Cause you know, when you have someone like, you know, and trust who you know, really understands books telling you what to read, then you trust them and then you read it and they're, and it turns out they were right. So she said, there's this book. I just don't know how you're going to feel about it, but I really want someone to read this because I just read it and my mind was so blown. So the premise I mean, I would say without giving too much away. Is it fiction or nonfiction? It's Can fiction. It's fiction. Okay. Yeah. Um, without giving too much away, because there's really no way to not give something away for this book. It's about a woman who suffers like a really traumatic experience. And in order to kind of deal with that traumatic experience, she becomes obsessed with the TV sitcom One uh, Three's Company okay. from the late 70s and early 80s. Huh? And... Then she comes into some money and rebuilds or builds, sorry, like an exact replica of the Three's Company set and then goes to live in it. I'm not going to say anything more except that it gets more and more and more surreal to where the end comes. I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. And usually I don't like that kind of book. Like if it's too surreal, I often Uh find that I lose interest. Mm-hmm. But with this one, it was really dark. I kind of want to go back and read it again because I think there's probably things I missed along the way. And it's yeah. like social commentary. The whole thing kind of feels a little bit like performance art in a way, like like her whole life, this character's life is performance art. Um, but like the details about the set and all the things that she noticed from Three's Company, which I watched kind of on and off. My mom uh-huh. didn't like that that show that much. I, w- I wasn't allowed to watch it. Either, <laughs> yes. My mom considered that to be inappropriate uh, content, but I do remember kind of sneaking an episode here and there. And so it's like nostalgia, but also it's kind of dark and you get to the end and you think everyone in this book is terrible, which I also usually don't like. I don't usually like books full of unlikable characters where no one gets better. But at the end, I just thought, that was amazing. I want to read it again. So that's all I'm going to say about it. I would just say if you're in the mood for something that moves pretty fast, I got through it in less than a week um, and and will kind of blow your mind in lots of different ways. I would check it out. One's Company by Ashley Hudson. I love it. Okay. Well, you set up the category and I, you know, I'm uh, taking a, a few liberties here with my nomination, <laughs> but um, the the book that jumped out from the list that I've read this year is Broken in the Best Possible Way by Jenny Lawson. And I put it there because I think Jenny would be flattered and delighted to be called weird because yes, her, I agree. <laughs> her writing and her humor writing is just zany. Um, and if you're not familiar, Jenny Lawson has been on the Internet forever. Her blog was The Blog S um, and she has several best-selling books, mostly humor writing about dark subjects like mental health and her own journey with depression and anxiety severe. Um, she, she has quite severe, um, history of different uh, health issues and mental health issues. And this one actually goes quite a bit into, um, like the actual mental health treatments, including, um, psychiatric, different types of psychiatric, um, interventions and, uh, 
drugs and like the experimental things that she has tried in the name of like living her best life as someone with chronic mental illness. Um, her writing is so funny and it is truly weird. Like her sense of humor is, I, I say that like with love and admiration, um, but it's, I was laughing out loud as I often do with Jenny Lawson books. I think I've read all of her memoir style, uh, essay style books. Um, but I have a memory of laughing out loud while Brian was sleeping next to me. And, and, um, yeah, her take on life and humor and the things that she writes about and makes funny are a little weird. So that's why I put it in that category. I don't think it's weird or unexpected that I enjoyed it because I really like Jenny's writing and I've enjoyed her other books and she's a New York times bestseller. So it's not like a, it's not a weird find, but there's weirdness in the way Jenny approaches humor and writing, I think. I think zany is the perfect word to describe her writing style. So yeah. I, I can see why it wound up in that, in that category, even though you probably did very much expect it to, very much expect to enjoy it. Yeah. All right. So next up, um, a book or books you wish had kept going or had a sequel, like where, where you get to the end and you're like, oh man, I just want, I want there to be more. Okay. Well, Mine is nonfiction. So it's not like I, I wish this had like a sequel in the way that you think about a, like a novel, but I, I read a lot of nonfiction. So that's just, you get what you get. Um, and this is a book called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, A Therapist, Her Therapist, and Our Lives Revealed by Lori Gottlieb. Um, it was like my perfect soup of nonfiction because it was funny and it moved fast and it it told personal stories, but you also learned a lot about psychotherapy and about therapist client relationships, but almost in like a peek behind the curtain kind of way. But also she so it's, it's by a therapist, but it is about <laughs> therapists going to therapy and like how much therapists talk about their clients. And like it was really delightful. And I could have read another like that much again, just because of the different clients she talked about and people's different um like different journeys with therapy with a very light touch of very like self-deprecating humorous writing voice. She also has a really interesting background. Like she went to, she was, I forget if she was a writer first or went to medical school first, but she, she had like two different, very different careers before she decided to become a therapist. Um, she almost became a doctor, got like all the way through medical school and then she became a journalist and then she became a therapist. Hmm. So anyway, wow. um, it is extremely readable and you don't have to be into therapy or going to therapy, I think, to um, enjoy it. And I could have read it all over again or another like 10 chapters. Another sim. Well, maybe she'll have another one. Yeah. That'll come out, you know, when she now switches careers again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, OK, well, mine are memoir. And, you know, I love me a good farm life memoir. Oh, yeah. And. So these are um, The Dirty Life and Good Husbandry are the name of the books. And they're both by an author named Kristen Kimball. Um, I actually read them out of order. So Good Husbandry was recommended. I think it, I was like at church and it was during the talk, they pulled the speaker, pulled a quote from it. And I thought, well, this seems like the kind of book I would like. So I bought it at this actual store. And like, like a physical copy of the book. Uh -huh. And I blew through it really fast. And then I mentioned it in a, um, oh, on an Instagram post on the mom hour. And someone said, you should also read her other book. I was like her other book. What? So it's about a woman who lives, um, in, you know, in her, her young life, she's living in New York city and 
working as a journalist and she goes out to interview this farmer who is starting this totally new way of this new model of farming where it's like a, it's like a, um, CSA, but it's everything. So you get all of the food you need for a whole year from the CSA. And so this was like very, you know, different and revolutionary and she falls in love with him. And then the two of them start a farm together. So, so I read the one good husbandry is after she has, she has two little girls and this is after they've been born. And it's like kind of telling the story, like kind of the midlife story where like now her kids are getting older. She's kind of sick of the house they've been living in. There's tension with she, between she and her husband and all that. And it was great. Like, it's a good mom memoir. It's a good, like, it's great. It has everything like the farm, you know, like the farm life is my version of a midlife crisis, that fantasy. So there's like that part, but then there's really good stuff about marriage and motherhood in there. Like really, really good. So after I finished that, I immediately downloaded the dirty life on my Kindle and read that. And I went, I read the both books in the space of maybe eight days. I mean, it was like a little oh, over nice. a week nice. and the dirty life tells her story about leaving New York city to start the, to start the farm. She's just a okay. really, really good, like, um, very literary writer, uh-huh. but also talks about the grit of like being a farmer and how hard yeah. it is and the bad, like the kind of uglier things that happen and how hard the work is and the times when things don't go well. So Great, great, great. And I mean, I feel like she's probably a slow writer. Like I get the feeling it probably takes her a really long time to write a book. Just first of all, I don't know how she has time anyway, because farm chores and such, but, (laughs) um, but it's just that kind of writing. And so it'll probably be a while before there's another one, but I would love it. I would love it if there was one right now. I signed up for her blog. So I do read her, her blog posts when they come out. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So this is a fun, this is a fun category. Most fluffy. So my, I don't actually read a lot of fluffy books and I'm not saying that with any kind of like superiority complex. I I I think we're the same this way. Yeah. (laughs) Well, what I, they don't catch my interest often. So I'll start them and then like literally forget that I started them. I buy them sometimes or I download them and I'll start them and then just kind of forget about them. Or I will read them and forget I read them. So that's another thing that happens. But so the the one I'm going to recommend is called Into the Wilderness by Sarah Donati. And it's, I mean, it's it's not fluff like a Hallmark fluff. It's historical fiction, romance. Okay. Well How written. How did you find it? How did, how did so it cross your path? I have been a big fan of the Outlander novels yeah. for a very long time, long before the TV series. Uh, and you know, Diana Gabaldon writes about one every eight years or something ridiculous. So you have to wait a really long time in between the books. I actually do think maybe there was seven years between her two last. So okay. when you finish one, you're just like, okay, well, 2028, there'll be another. Um, and it came up as like, a, if you like this, you might like that. So I've already, this is my second time reading this. I think I read it like 10 years ago when I first was waiting on the next Diana Gabaldon book to come out. And, um, I read this one and I remember liking it and it's like kind of based in the same time period as the outlander books, like late 1700s, um, similar ish setting. Like they're, you know, obviously in the wilderness, there's no magic. So the outlander books have a magical sort of mystical quality to them and the into the wilderness do not, but otherwise like there's a lot of similarities. And in fact, I had forgotten about this, but the Outlander characters make like a cameo 
So I'm reading this oh. going, this feels a lot like an Outlander book. And, and suddenly like fan fiction almost. It was like fanfic. Yes. Yeah, so, so they brought the characters in. So anyway, it's not going to like, it didn't blow my mind with like um, symbolism or anything. It's just a solid read. If you like read, um, if you like stories about, you know, like living on the mountain in the 1700s and, you know, in, in the colonial times and things like that. And if you like that kind of thing, you would probably like these books. And yeah. the woman writes under a pen name. She's got like three different pen names. When I looked up her, the author, she goes by different names depending on the kinds of books she reads, but they're all, she's open about it. It's like her uh-huh. author website has them all yeah. listed. So I thought that was interesting too. That is really interesting. Well, the entry into Fluffy is a good time to like, I think, talk about how we decide what to read next and how we find books, because this is um, this has changed a lot for me in the last year. Uh, In April of this year, I did an episode with two of our contributors where we talked about books and I talked about the Kindle versus paper books. And um, I just think the way we stumble upon our next read, first of all, you the way you do and the way I do has historically been very different. Um, But this has changed for me since I've become a Kindle person. And one of the reasons it's changed is because I typically check out my books on my Kindle from my, from um, the library through the Libby app Mm. or it's overdrive sometimes, but it's like you're, it's a digital loan. And what keeps happening to me this year is I am a slow, I'm not actually a slow reader. Once the book is open, I just don't read very much. I don't, I open the book like for a few minutes every day. And so, so many times, especially this summer, a digital loan has expired and it is the equivalent of a librarian coming and snatching a book out of your hands that you were midway through and you being like, but <laughs> I would have a really but, hard time with that. Yeah. You would hate it. You, <laughs> you would hate it. And if it happens to me once, it's like not that big a deal. It's just sort of comically happened to me like four or five times this year. Um, and then I am at this point where I'm like, so then I go put it on my holds list again. And then I'm at this point where I'm like, okay, well, I just want to read something. And so that was a long lead into my fluffy choice, which was the very first book in the Bridgerton series. This, Hmm. you know, like the wildly popular Bridgerton. I had to even look up, I guess it's called the Duke and I, the first one is, was it, Um, was the show based on the books or vice versa? Yeah. The show is based on the books. Got it. Okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure. So, um, I have seen maybe one, maybe not even a whole episode of the show. It was, we watched it and then just decided we weren't going to watch it. And again, like zero judgment, but I was like, oh, maybe I'd like the book. I think I would like the book better if I hadn't seen the show and seen so much of the hype about the show. I think I went in with like too many preconceived notions. Um, I think the book was entirely enjoyable. It's, it's very fun and fluffy, but I wish that I didn't have a visual of the world that the author is creating. Now you're making me wonder, are the books based on the show? I don't think so. I think the show Sometimes is based that does on, happen when I they know. can crank them up fast enough, you know? So that's, but that would be really fast because Bridgerton was just out like what, two years yeah. ago? Is that when it premiered? Uh, yeah. yeah, I am or, or less because I watched it in this house. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I I didn't finish the first one, but I would if I was in the middle of another book and it got taken away from me or if I just was in the mood for fluff, I would totally keep going. I'm not sure like it's enough for me to blaze through the entire series, but I didn't hate it. So so this reminds me of when I was re- watching Downton Abbey every week when it was coming out. So, you know, oh, yeah. probably 2013, 2014 was when I feel like it was peaking, you know, peak Downton. Yeah. And I went looking for books kind of inspired by or that were like 
if you like Downton Abbey, then you'll like these books. And sure. every one that I read was super disappointing because they weren't, they didn't do what I thought they should do, which is basically be like Downton Abbey in book format. And, and I felt, I remember thinking some of them were very cheesy. And I actually remember thinking, this is such a good, like, um, it's such a good business opportunity for some inspiring, like or aspiring writer or someone who kind of knows how to write in a certain style and crank books out fast yeah. and get them out there as like an ebook. And then just say, if you like X, you'll like Y. And at the time, I'm sure someone by now has probably done that. But at the time I could not find an acceptable book version. Of yeah. Downton. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point. Um, I did just confirm the show is based on the series of books and okay. the author is Julia Quinn. Um, and I know people love the series, so um, I probably won't watch the TV show, but I may continue with the books. So stay tuned. Um, hmm. Maybe I'll just keep going. Okay. Well, here's a category that I like because I think sometimes we think of books in only two ways, the book we finished or the book we like failed to finish. But I think there's a third category and that's a book that we genuinely liked or our liking, but we're just probably not going to finish it because it already did everything it needs to do for us. Right. So it's not like the book we, we got bored of and forgot about, and it's not the book that we just ran out of time <laughs> or that we didn't like. It's like, there's this other category. It's like, love it. I'm done with it. I've had yeah. enough. Yeah. Or, uh, or I will all even expand on that in the one I'm going to talk about is more like, I like this concept and I agree with its tenets, but I feel like I have learned what I need to learn or maybe even came in already kind of knowing the salient yes. points and don't need to read a whole book. So that's kind of what happened to me. Um, so the book I enjoyed, but probably won't finish because it was taken away from me digitally by the library <laughs> is called The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind and Body in the Healing of Trauma. Um, and it uses uh, veterans and PTSD trauma survivors, but talks about like trauma generally. And I was really interested in the mind body connection. Um, and I had heard this book referenced on a bunch of different podcast interviews and um, people talking about, you know, things that we've talked about, Megan, like the, like how, how little we've tapped into um, like how our physical bodies manifest things like stress mm. and emotions and all of that. Um, I think probably the material I was most interested in had already been given to me in the podcast listening that I had done where people were raving or talking or mentioning this book. So by the time I read the book, it's really fascinating, but I was like almost, I'd already been convinced or I'd already sort of like been interested in, in this conceptually. And I, I'm not sure I would go back and finish the book. Maybe I would, yeah. but um, yeah. I think that that's interesting because it's very in line with the experience I had with my book, which is called breath by James Nestor is who I believe is like, I think he's written a lot of health journalism. I think it's like, that's his background. Well, my sister and I were, it was on my birthday and my sister and I were in this really cute bookstore in Marquette in Northern Michigan. And she's, she had been talking about this book earlier when we were on a hike and then there it was on the shelf. And she's like, I'm going to get this for you for your birthday. So she bought it for me for my birthday. And I started reading it on the trip and it's all about, it's about breathing basically. And about how little we know about breathing and how important it is to our oh, bodies and everything yeah. else. And like, um, and, and it, tons of science, it's like 
packed with science and experiments. And is it better to breathe more oxygen or more carbon dioxide? And like, wow. So there was a lot about mouth breathing and how humans have become increasingly over centuries mouth breathers and it's changed the shape of our faces. And then the more you mouth breathe, the more your face begets mouth breathing. And now people have messed up sinus cavities and all this stuff. So, um, the science in the introduction was fascinating. This, I thought the section on mouth breathing was fascinating. He goes through an experiment where he has his nose completely taped shut for like two weeks or something and can only breathe through his mouth. And it, throws everything off. Like his stress is through the roof, like his bodily functions get oh my all gosh. jacked up. And then like how you can kind of reverse that by breathing more through your nose and breathing in a certain way, deepening your breaths, like what the perfect length of a breath is. I think it's 5.5 seconds is what they decided. Anyway, um, there was just a point where I was like, okay, I think I've had enough now. I know what there is. Like, I know the premise I'm all yeah. on board. I, I agree. Like, I agree. I find this very fascinating, but the finer details I started to just get a little lost in the other funny thing. Well, there was a couple other things. One was that I really expected there to be a lot more about yoga breathing and there was very, very little, which I thought was interesting. Like I thought there'd be more about, because that's like a practice that goes back centuries and like thousands of years, like yogic breathing. It's a huge cornerstone of a yoga practice. And it was just kind of like offhand mentioned a few times, but not offered as something one could do today, which I thought was interesting. And there were some mentions of like Wim Hof breathing and things like that as well. But the other thing is I started to get obsessive about my own breathing Yeah. while reading this book. I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I'd be reading and all of a sudden I'd realize I was almost hyperventilating because I couldn't stop thinking. Yeah, that makes me feel not good to think about Now I want to take like deep breaths because I feel like I'm suffocating and I'm not, but it was just like it got in my head. So I very lovingly said, thank you very much to James Nestor for writing this book that I thought was instructive and interesting. And I'm glad I have the knowledge from it. And I don't think I'll pick it back up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I feel like you you just gave me like, that was interesting just to hear you talk about it. And I, now I don't have to read the book at all. What I would do is get it from your library and just read the first couple chapters. Cause that's where I'll take it away. And then the library will take it away and you don't have to feel bad. (laughs) Sarah, our sponsor Haya is back on the show today. And I just really love this company. Typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise. They're filled with two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other gummy junk most parents don't really want their growing kids eating. That's why Haya, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin, was created. That's right, Megan. Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern kids' diets to provide the full-body nourishment they need. And Haya vitamins have a yummy taste kids love, too. So we were just talking to Katie on our team, Megan, and she was saying that when they get down toward the bottom of the high vitamin bottle, her boys are fighting over who gets the last one. Oh, I love it. And I also love that Katie can feel good about that, right? Haya is designed for kids of all ages and sent straight to your door. So parents never need to worry about running out. And we've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash mom hour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. 
It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Okay, so next category is quickest read. And I feel like this could be one of two things. It could be like one of those can't put it down books where it's a thick book, but you just blew through it fast or it's like an easy read. Or sometimes it's literally just a book that isn't that long and moves quickly. So here's some irony. The book that I read the fastest, and I finished this in less than 24 hours. This might have been like a went to bed with it one night and then read it a little bit the next morning and was done. Um, It's called The Sound of a Wild Snail Eating. So it's about a a snail, which is slow. So I think that's kind of funny. By Elizabeth Tova Bailey. Um, It's not a particularly long book. And it's very, the writing is kind of, I don't, it's like meditative and simple is the only way I can put it. She, it's, it's a memoir and the author is writing about a time and she seems like maybe a reclusive author. Cause I could barely find anything about her online. She doesn't really seem to be on social media very much, okay. but she's writing about a time in her life that she was, she was suffering from a, some kind of like an autoimmune condition okay. that made it so that she was completely bedridden, like couldn't move, like just was like laying in bed and couldn't do anything at all and had to leave her home and was in, um, I think some kind of nursing home or something. and. Her friend brought her a snail Okay. and just like put it next to her bed and thought, I just thought you would like to watch this snail. And so she can't do anything else. She just lays there and watches the snail. And then the snail's life becomes more complicated. And the snail, like she gets the snail a terrarium and she's watching the snail in this little world. And so it goes into science about like what is actually happening in a snail's life and why it's like all this like science about snails and history and how people have been fascinated with snails for ever. But also it's a lot about like our frailty as humans and how much we want to move and do things. And then when you have that taken away from you, how hard that can be. And like, I mean, it was so good and it, it, and it was, I had missed it when it came. I think it's maybe like 10 years old. Okay. But the and cover how, looked how did very you... familiar. Okay. And how did you decide? Oh, she did. Okay. My sorry. Sister. Yeah. That's okay. Um, yeah. No, she just recommended it to me offhand one day and said, it's just really, really good. And I think there was like another book we were discussing that she said, if you like that, you'll love this. And she was right. I did love it. I would highly recommend it. I feel like it's one of those books where if you feel like frustrated about where you are in your life or you don't feel like things are moving quickly enough, or you're getting things done or I don't know, just like. It kind of checked a whole lot of boxes for me mm-hmm. and really good writing. So that's, yeah, that's fascinating. As you were describing it, I was thinking this didn't even make your weird book, but yet it's about someone who's watching a snail eat. I, mean, I know. Yes. Yeah. It's just so random. And she watches it lay eggs and do all yeah. kinds of other things too. But yes, like yeah. she's literally, that's her life has shrunken down. Yeah. That small. And so, yeah, yeah. It, but it wasn't weird. It was just very lovely. Yeah. That's oh. really cool. Yeah. Well, I, I just picked one that I read really fast and that was a fast read and it is digital minimalism, choosing a focused life in a noisy world by Cal Newport. Um, he's, this is like a very popular book among our people who create content online and live like an internet life. And he's also author of deep work, which I know people love. I have not read that one. I read this at the very beginning of 2022. Um, and it was like, for me, it was again, kind of like 
good, but not mind blowing. And I read it relatively quickly. He's a very, I'm I'm blanking out on what Cal Newport's like profession is before he started writing this stuff, but it's something, he's not a lawyer. Maybe he's an engineer. We're so familiar that I really think. I think he might be an engineer or a software guy or something because deep, deep work and digital minimalism are both wildly popular among, like I said, people like us creators who spend a lot of time online and He's big in the productivity world and the like kind of like intentional technology use like that whole thing is like you so you've heard his name for sure. Um, yeah. But his writing style, because I think is I think he comes from like an engineering or some kind I'm of looking. Like, He's act- a computer science guy. OK. OK. So I'm not wrong there. I, yeah. I always like start to like second guess myself. He looks anyway. really young. Yeah, I think he is younger than us, maybe. Um, but he his writing style is so um, bare bones. What's there's an more artful word than that. Like Spartan. It's just, um, so the book moves fast because he is not adding in unnecessary words. It is like a, it is a software programmers like writing style. (laughs) Is there very little like editorializing? Like Um, he tells stories and he gives examples. So he does, (laughs) he does personalize it. It's just, um, like there's no frills. Um, and so because I was already familiar with a lot of the concepts, I was familiar, already familiar with his name. And because of his writing style, I just read it in a few days. And I was like, OK, thank you, Cal Newport. That was what I thought it was going to be. And it anything that makes you think about your digital life and use of technology, I think it's almost less about the specific tips and more like that creating awareness. That's what it usually does for me is it's not like I. Yeah, it changed my life around digital use, but it did create that awareness. Like you said, with the breathing, mm-hmm. maybe. And, yeah. 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 But maybe with a little bit less hyperventilating. I hope. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I love that in this next category, most educational, um, we both have a book by the same author. So I'll let you go first, but this I is will. really fun. I will. So I actually, this is the only category. The category is most educational. And I actually read kind of a lot of nonfiction and history and I guess like quote unquote educational books. But the two that I picked, the first one is called Just Mercy, A Story of Justice and Redemption, which is about um, death row and death penalty legal process um, in the 80s in the South. And it's really beautifully written. Um, and it's so much stuff I didn't know. And so it was deeply educational, but also, um, not, not like instructional or like a history textbook. It's also really personally written. The author is Brian Stevenson. Um, so that is just mercy. I highly recommend that book. Um, but then the other one, I just read this. In fact, this is one of the only books I have finished in the last few months and it's Bill Bryson's Shakespeare the whole title. Um, and it is about what we know and mostly about what we don't know about Shakespeare's actual personal life. And, um, so much of that Elizabethan like history I studied when I was a literature major and I did a lot of Shakespeare work. And so it was like nostalgically familiar, but I, you know, I have a bad memory for some of like the, the brass tacks, the nuts and bolts of the history. And, um, Bill Bryson's a great writer He's it's funny because he is sometimes a straight up humor writer, like laugh out loud. And then sometimes he's just a witty guy who writes informational stuff. And I would put the Shakespeare book in that category. It's not funny, but he's always an entertaining read. And it's a relatively short book. So I just immersed myself in 
Shakespeare's time for, um, I don't know, like 120 pages. And that was a good one. And I did learn a lot. So both of those were very educational. Okay. So my book is also by Bill Bryson, but I just want to say a couple things about both Bill Bryson and Shakespeare. Um, like you, I did a lot of Shakespeare work, but mine was like in the theater department in college. Sure. And in the nineties, I believe right around the time I would have been doing that work, that movie with Gwyneth Paltrow came out. Yes. Yeah. About Shakespeare. And I feel like there was a little flurry of interest in Shakespeare's real life around that time. Uh-huh. Like what, you know, was he married to this person or not? And like just all of that. And it's funny how much, how little actually is known about somebody who was so little, this amazingly pro- prolific writer and had this enormous impact. <laughs> Yeah. And he was even famous in his time. That's basically the premise of this book is how little we know and how historians over time have tried to cobble it together. But, you know, historians are also fallible folks who make stuff up for their own. Right. Like weird purposes. And so it's sort of about the mess that is putting together like the history of Shakespeare's life. Well, and it's like the myth because people just ran with theories and then they become, and those theories are so old by now, hundreds and hundreds of years old, that those become as though they're true. Uh-huh. And yeah. then you just lose sight of what actually is true. And like, at what, at some point, how do you verify? Like what source yes. is considered to be um, like reliable? So the book that I read, Oh, the other thing I was going to say about Bill Bryson, is, is he a Brit? No. So he, this is so fascinating. He is born and raised in Iowa until he was like 22. And then he moved to London as a young man and married <sighs> a Brit and stayed there for another 20 years. So first 20 years in the U.S., rounding for, you know, rounding sake, and then another 20 years in the U.K., and then when they had young kids, they moved back to the U.S., and he has a great book called I'm a Stranger Here Myself, which is all about British-American, like, funny differences, because he is literally kind of both, but he is not. He's born and raised in the U.S., but then all of his young adult life was in England, and then I believe, I think he's still in the U.S., because I think he came back for some kind of professorship um, in the U S but he was like our age. He was like in his mid forties with kids who were teenagers. So you could write the, um, you know, official <laughs> like history of Bill Bryson. I you read a get lot that of Bill down Bryson. so it doesn't get messed up. I, well, I asked because, um, there is a difference between British humor and American humor. And sometimes I, I love British humor, but sometimes it just in writing doesn't always hit me quite the right way. Like I, I have to go back and go, am I reading this by someone who's like an American author or a British author? And Mm -hmm. he struck me more as a British author. Well, you could say all of his, all of his writerly training almost would have been in England because he was, I think he was 20 or 22 or something when he moved there. Gotcha. Okay. The other thing I was going to say about Bill Bryson is that I tried to read his book about walking the Appalachian trail and did not find it entertaining. Now you would think that's the kind of thing that I would really like. I do like nature. I like hiking. It's a story about him backpacking. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just didn't like it that much. I didn't like, because that was truly humor. It was really yeah. like him writing humor and mm-hmm. his humor just didn't do it for me for whatever reason. But his other books that are more informational. Yeah, um, I it, can see that. It, it was me. also wildly <laughs> popular. And I wonder yeah. if you had a little bit of that contrarian how we get sometimes about things that maybe are maybe I'll, I'll give it another shot I didn't hate it I just remember getting a few chapters in and thinking eh, it's all right yeah I think so I the book listened that I... to it on audiobook anyway <laughs> well that yeah. might be different so the book that I really did learn a lot from and read um actually reread I read it maybe eight or nine years ago and just reread it it's called at home 
And it's a story of he, he moves into an old parsonage that was built like in the 1800s. I can't remember when in the 1800s. And then going around the house, looking at the objects mm-hmm. in the house kind of goes back through history to tell the, the story of how those objects came to be. So basically like moves through every room in the house, talks about that room, talks about the things in that room and through time, how civilization kind of grew up inside the home. Mm-hmm. Um, so like fascinating things that I didn't realize, like how recently it was that an entire family, including servants, um, wealthy people, children, everybody would just be like in one big room, like just sleeping all over the place in a long house. So that was like one of the things it was relatively late that they were able to, that privacy became a thing, I guess, like privacy while one slept or chimneys or like all of these things that changed civilization so drastically. Uh, it was absolutely fascinating. I feel like I learned so much. I kind of want to go back and read it again because every time I like every chapter, I'd say what? And then I'd have to like, look up that. Is that true? I mean, I, everything he said was true, but you know, the other book of his or another book of his that I'm reading right now is called, um, 1927. Oh, I haven't it's, read that No, one. it's called one summer, 1927 or something like that. And it literally just tells the story of one summer in history where a lot happened Oh, that's really cool. It is, but so much of it is based on aviation. Like it's a lot about the Charles Lindbergh story and I just don't really care. (laughs) So the thing is, it's all well done and it's just like his, his classic style and very witty and like a lot of information, but I'm like, I don't really care about Charles Lindbergh that much. So I'm not sure if I'll make it through. Okay. So this is not now a Bill Bryson podcast, but two quick things. One at home is one of my favorite nonfiction books ever, but I haven't reread it and I would like to reread it Two, I want to say that I told you about that book like eight or nine years ago. Did I could, you, be, you I may could have. be wrong, but I think it might've been like in our early working together days. Um, and if it doesn't matter if I did or didn't, I'm happy you like it. Cause I truly love, love that book. I think it was definitely the first Bill Bryson book I ever read. So it wouldn't surprise me if you were yeah. the one who introduced me. And then I have a book recommendation for people who like that book at home. And it's called How We Got to Now by Stephen Johnson or John. I think it's Johnson because um, I used to know a Stephen Johnston, but it's called How We Got to Now. And it also takes it's a different construct. It's not moving through an old 1800s parsonage, but it similarly moves through everyday, um, everyday modern conveniences that we have now and then tells in fascinating like story form um, how we got to now. So they talk about refrigeration and shipping, for example, and you learn about like meatpacking in Chicago. Like it, he just takes you on this, like things that you just take for granted, like a toilet or like a refrigerator and then talks about the history. And so it's, it has a very similar, it's not as long as at home, but it has a similar, you find yourself wanting to tell somebody else about it. Like, did you know that it's just fun? I love that. Okay. So I will definitely add that to my, my list because that kind of book, like when it's full of facts, but also storytelling, but also like fun facts that you can pull out at a party. Yes. <laughs> it's one of my yeah. favorites. Yep. Okay. We should probably move on from the Bill Bryson fan club. Um, yeah. Next book uh, category is most inspiring. So I'm going to share um, Braiding Sweetgrass by an author named Robin Wall Kimmerer. This is a book that my sister gave me you know, we do a family camping trip every year and every year she brings a book for all the other, like all the sisters. Oh, and I don't think I knew that part about the book. Yeah. It's really cool. And 
that year it was braiding sweetgrass and, um, I, you know, read a chapter, put it down, forgot about it. Then when I was moving, unearthed it and thought I should read this. And anyway, so I, I kind of picked it back up again in the spring and started slowly reading it. It is a very dense read. Fiction or nonfiction? It's nonfiction. It's, it's kind of like memoir meets science writing is the best way I can put it. So she is um, a biologist, a, a professor actually of, of botany, I believe, in New York. Um, and the, it's actually the subtitle is, so it's Braiding Sweetgrass, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teachings of Plants. So it's basically like there's a whole bunch of Native history. I believe she's Potawatomi. Um, and is active with her tribe. So there's a lot about like that culture and the, the teachings that have been lost and like what's been lost along the way. And a lot about plants, <laughs> like so much about plants and then just really beautiful lyrical writing. Okay. There's a chapter in there about like wanting to be a good mother that just like, I want to reread that and recommend it to everybody. It was so good. And, but it's dense because you're reading it and she's like going into the minute details of like marsh grass and what's happening in a marsh and why the ecosystem is what it is. And there's just like storytelling, but it all has, it's like definitely when you get to the end, you're thinking, what are we doing to this planet? And what have we done to the people who were on it before we got here? And like, it's just, it's like really heavy and it took Mm -hmm. me a really long time to get through it. But at the end, I felt just like inspired to have something I do matter that much. It just was like really cool. I would recommend it. And, and I don't think you have to read it all at once. I think you could read one chapter and put it down for like a month and that would be okay. Yeah. Well, I I actually love that you did finish it though, because the fact that you kind of wrestled with the, the longer form and like those deeper things, it means it was really like, it was meant to be like, I don't think you have to finish a book to get everything out of it as we've discussed, but it sounds like that one part of the reason it was inspiring is that it was not an easy read and yet you did it anyway. And that in itself like feels really good. I always, I mean, I get that satisfaction. And sometimes when a book is like that dense and that heavy, it takes time. Like you, you read a little bit of it and then you want to move away from it for a little while and like let it settle and then go back to it. But I mean, I don't want to make it sound like a drag to read. It was actually very entertaining and a lot of learning and it moved along. It's just, you don't want to miss it's not the kind of book that you can, um, uh, like what's the word I'm looking for where you're just kind of skimming. Thank you. You don't skim. Yeah. If you do, yeah. you'll miss something. So yeah. 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 Well, I kind of have two for most inspiring, but I just men- mentioned one of them. And so I will say again that just mercy, a story of justice and redemption, uh, by Brian Stevenson from a social justice and, um, like racial equality and legal system racial inequality, I should say, in the case of this book, um, was really this man's story is inspiring in that you can't unknow some of these things after reading this book. So I just Mm. gave it two categories, but um, that was inspiring in that kind of way. And then in a totally different way, I read the novel City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert um, this spring, I want to say. Um, and I don't read as much fiction, but I, it takes place in the 1940s, fifties and sixties. It's actually over like a whole generation in New York city. And it is just like the characterization of New York city and the theatrical life. So it takes place in a theater. So there are costumes and actors and it's like 
I know this sounds like a blurb you'd put on a book, but it's a very colorful and like vibrant storytelling style. But it also I really appreciated a lot of the um, friendships and like kind of quirky relationships and just um, so it was like inspiring in a totally different way. I think I read so little modern fiction that when I do, I'm like, wow, that was like a whole experience, like watching a movie or something. (laughs) So um, I just love New York. I love the theater. I love stories about theatrical things and times. I love the 1940s and 50s. It was like so much of what I love. Um, And so that's a different kind of inspiring. I was actually just thinking how few of the books on either of our list are fiction and especially like modern fiction. Um, That's why I was actually so surprised. I like that one's company so much. It is not the kind of book I would really ever pick up and read like absurdist, you know, modern literary fiction, not really my thing, but sometimes something just gets you. And um, Elizabeth Gilbert is a great, it's a great fiction writer. Okay, Sarah. So last category, and this is books you're looking forward to starting or finishing. So (laughs) interpret that however you will. Yeah, well, there's an easy answer because I already talked about how the library kept taking away my books this summer when I was being slow. And some of them I I don't care that much about. I did put them on my holds list and I will return to them. But the one where I'm like, shoot, I was like 75, 80 percent of the way through with that book. It is fiction. So this one is a modern fiction. And I just wanted to finish the story. Um, and it's The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. Um And yeah, I won't even like go into plot points so much as it, I think it was a relatively popular pick the last couple of years. Um, and it, it, it would had me engaged and for modern fiction, that isn't always the case. Um, and so I'm looking, really looking forward to when that comes up on my library holds, I am going to grab it and finish it. And that's the vanishing half by Britt Bennett. All right. You know, it's funny. I think we both used the word modern related to fiction, but probably someone out there is like, no, there's a modern era. And that is oh. not what you mean is contemporary. Well, don't come to us for things like don't literary come to, terms. Don't come after us if we don't use the right words, because we don't know anything. This is not a books podcast. and There's so <laughs> much books like content. I actually I do like have an inferiority complex when it comes to book content because people are so into their book clubs and their bookstagrammers and their books podcast. And I'm like, I didn't even know what a bookstagrammer was. I had to ask Amy Clark and she said, well, they're just Instagrammers that Instagram about their books. I was like, well, why do they get a whole name? I I had the same conversation in (laughs) April on this podcast when I talked to Catherine and Joanna who are bigger, you know, more readerly than I am, but maybe we're just normalizing like normal people reading. I also, I also have like I get weirdly tripped up when needing to summarize um, the plot of a book without spoiling. And also like I misremember things because I'm like I I kind of forget plot points, but I remember style and things Mm. like that. So I was just thinking the Girl Next Door podcast, Kelsey and Erica do quite a few book episodes. And I think Kelsey reads the Goodreads description blurb, which is actually a really good idea. It's like I'd rather I'd rather tell you, like, just here's the two sentence synopsis that somebody else approved because I write over my words and I'm like, well, what, what if that didn't actually happen? Or what if like I'm misremembering or I'm spoiling? So anyway. Well, and I think people have such different tolerance levels for spoilers. I, I don't mind spoilers at all. And you would really have to give away a, a way, a major twist for me to be like, what? Like, 
like the climax of the book. You'd have to give that away or, or some kind of a um, twist, a, a twist, like an out of the blue plot twist. And everything else to me is fair game. If it, if it gets set up in the premise in the first couple of chapters, I'm all whatever. I'll talk about it. But some people think that's a spoiler. So right. anyway, right. anyway, if we gave anything away that you didn't want to hear, oops, got it. We, won't, we for sure we won't got it wrong. For we for sure miss, <laughs> miss it was wrong. <laughs> like, yeah. Badsynopsis.com. Okay. What is your well, books you're looking forward to finishing or starting or finishing? So I have one that I'm looking forward to really starting and one that I'm looking forward to finishing. Both of these books were recommended to me um, along the way, like multiple times. And both of them are books that I want to do um, discussions on in the community that I'm putting together. So I was going to get the jump and read them both. I started one um, is Wintering by Catherine May. Like last year, I feel like so many people recommended that book. And it's kind of the premise, I believe, is about like how we persevere during hard times by kind of like preparing for winter. Like winter yeah. is a part of our lives, right? Yeah. I started to read it. I got part of the way through the intro and thought, I can't read this in August. Yeah. <laughs> like that's when it's I was summer. starting it. I, don't, I was like, I am not ready for this. I won't be ready for this in September either. So I think I'm going to put that one off. I actually think the first chapter of the book is called October. So I think I'm going to put it off and start reading it in October. Okay. Um, so that's a looking forward to really starting. I've just read the intro. And then the second one that I'm looking forward to finishing is, I guess I haven't learned that yet by Shauna Nequist. Um, I read one of her books that was about like food and friendship or something several years ago. And I like her style a lot. Um, she is a Christian author, but like the books are really, you wouldn't, you don't yeah. have to have that um, belief system to enjoy her books. Like it's all, it's like there, you know, that's her, her faith, but it's not like, mm -hmm. it's not integral to the plot or anything like that or the takeaways. And um, it's just, she's a good writer. And it's, it's like, it's, I feel like all of her essays are meaty and meaningful, but not like she's uh, too into herself as a literary writer, if that makes mm. sense. Like mm -hmm. she's not in, so in love with her way that she can turn a phrase, which is sometimes I think of trap I can fall into. She's not so in love with herself as a writer that she makes it all about like the style of the writing. It's more like, yeah. here's the point. I'm, there's, here's a story I'm trying to tell. Here's the, here's the feeling I'm trying to get across. And so I'm about halfway into that book and enjoying it quite a lot. I would like to read that book. I have heard several people this year talk about it and I'm trying to think, I don't think I've read any Shauna Nequist books, but I, I feel like writers that I read hold her up as their kind of like North star. So I've, I've absorbed the essence, but, um, this one, I love the title. It's a great title. Um, and it, when I've heard people talk about it, I think it's right up my alley. So I would like to yeah. put that one on my list. Well, that was a lot of books that we just talked about. I mean, I'm impressed with us. Me just too. Kidding. We're so literary. <laughs> Look at us. That's well, like, that's more books than I've read sometimes in a five-year period that I just talked yeah. about in the last hour. So, well, yeah. and you know, we're kind of like approaching the final quarter of the year, which is a time where either habits can like really sort of just peter out entirely and you wait till January to reinvigorate. But also sometimes in September and October, there's like a, a like a renewed emphasis on goals, rituals, routines. So this was fun because it motivated me to read a little bit more. It motivated me to read more in the morning again, because I used to only be a morning mm. reader. Now I'm more a night reader. And as I was like talking about these books, I'm like, I think the reason I'm so fuzzy about some of them is because I read them 
before I go to when sleep. When you're tired. So, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned, Megan, that we're going to do a revisit of our 2022 goals and intentions. Um, and that's going to be next month in a more than mom episode. And then we're also going to talk about some of those little habits for fall that kind of make yeah. a difference in how we're taking care of ourselves and how we're doing things like reading or spending time in the morning or writing or all that. So those are both going to be more than mom topics coming up. Um, we do more than mom episodes typically every other Sunday. So if you're new as a listener, um, we scale back a little bit on our more than mom episodes during the summer, but then we ramp back up to every other Sunday in the fall. And I feel like these three will kind of all flow together between reading and updating our habits for fall and then just checking back in on those goals and intentions. So yeah, I'm excited. excited about all of it. All right. Well, in the meantime, we will also be back with you on Tuesday, as always, with another brand new episode. And we will talk to you then. Talk to you then. Sarah, I started a Substack last spring, just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mom Hour listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N francis.substack.com. Hey, everyone. We have a favor to ask. If you are an Apple Podcasts user, can you check really quickly to make sure you're still following the Mom Hour? Apple did one of their big software updates recently, and it changed a bunch of things about how you get the podcasts you're subscribed to. If Apple Podcasts is your podcast app of choice, all you have to do is find your way to our show page and then click the little plus sign or follow in the top right corner. Thanks so much.